It's a privilege to be in the house of God today. Uh, you know, we could be anywhere, you know, and God has allowed us to be in church. Yet, yes, we chose to be here, but God really has allowed us to be in his house. You know, we have to realize, wow, it's a privilege to come to church. Even if you felt like you were forced to come <laughs> by your parents or your husband or your wife, it's still a privilege to be here. And, and today we're going to, you know, um, look at so many things in the Word of God. But before I, I get started, I just want to say thank you to our senior pastors, Pastor Richard, Sister Nancy, on behalf of my wife and I and the Anaheim congregation, Pastor Dan, Sister Christina, Pastor Matt, and all the pastors here and their wives. I, I mean, you guys are blessed. You have a lot of pastors. I won't even try to go down the list because if I miss one, I'll be in trouble. But you all know who you are, and I know who you are, because every single pastor here, I remember when I walked through those doors. I was, you know, we were 19. My wife and I were young. And can I tell you, uh, these men of God were still here. And that is powerful. There's a consistency that comes with, with, with I mean, there's a power that comes with their consistency, and it's an encouragement to, to me and my wife when we come and we still see those faithful men and women of God in the house of God today. Now, this month's sermon series has been one full of awesome topics and points. So much insight and revelation was provided, right? Amen? Yes. I know it's Wednesday, but do you want to get up and do some jumping jacks? Should we do that? No, I know it's like midweek. We're trying to get over the hump. But you know what? I believe God's going to get us not only through today. He's going to get us through the next season. Amen? He's going to get us through whatever is coming our way. So much insight, so much revelation was received about what God has for us and what we as God's people can do. And it came straight from God's mouth. He said, if my people, if my people. Now, this statement is not a statement that's foreign to us, right? No, we've, we've actually used that before. Not maybe my people, but... We use the statement when we want someone to know what they can be rewarded with if they do something or if they help us with something. Kind of like this. If you do all your homework before I get home, then we're going to go get ice cream. Kids love that if, right? Or if you come to church with me, I promise I'll take you out to eat after. Some of you that's like, I'm going. If you complete this project on time, you're going to be eligible for the promotion. See, the word if is a conditional statement. It's conditional. It's not a promise. It's a condition. The word if only happens if the terms are met. And that's what God also does with us. He tells us if. There's conditions. If. If you and I, as his children, how many children of God do we have in the house today? Come on, I, I'm not hearing you. How many children of God do we have in the house today? You got to know who you are, church. You're a sinner, yes. We're sinners, yes. But you're a child, yes. We're children of God, amen. The series scripture shows us this, if condition. Second Chronicles chapter 7, 14, 
if my people, which are called by my name. Look at that. He just called you his people. Amen. You're his people. Yes, sir. If you ever doubt God doesn't love me, I, I, I don't belong to the church, I don't belong to God. No, it says here, if my people, you're my people, he says, Amen. which are called by my name. That means he called you. Not somebody else. God called you. Isn't that powerful, church? Just, sometimes you just got to look at a scripture and go little by little. It's kind of slow down and enjoy the scenery. You know, that's what you got to do with the word of God. Sometimes. Just slow down and look at what he's saying. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land he starts with if and then he immediately reminds us who you are you're his children whom he loves whom he called it wasn't an accident you're not in church today by accident you might think you were made to come if for some of you that maybe didn't want to be here, but God brought you here because you're his people. Did you notice that this series scripture states more of what we can do versus what we can't do? Why do I bring that up? Because so many times people say, oh, church is just nothing but rules. Or the Bible is just a bunch of you can't, you can't, do not, do not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. But did you know this scripture is all about what you can do? giving us a green light what is he saying he's saying if you and I humble ourselves if you and I pray if you and I seek God's face and turn from our wicked ways see God specifically tells us four things that we must do four things he's pretty specific I was talking to somebody the other day that said uh, God showed me something, um, but he didn't tell me when, where, how, and so I'm really scared, and I don't know what's going to happen, and I said, well, you know, I don't know, are you sure that was God? Because, see, God's specific. God doesn't bring fear. If God wants you to know something, he's going to tell you the date, the time, the place, and the outcome. Look at God's word. He always does that. He says, in the end times, da, 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 da. If you forsake my ways, da, 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 da. He doesn't say something might happen. He tells you what will happen. I was reading the book of Amos the other day, and it says, because of your rebellion, you're, I'm going to put fish hooks in your nose. I mean, how specific can you get? And you're going to be dragged out into exile by the Assyrians. Oh, my gosh. That's no confusion, is it? <laughs> and that was no promise that God didn't make. As a matter of fact, there are hieroglyphics, I don't know what you call them, maybe inscriptions on Assyrian, old Assyrian um, um, rocks, where guess what they show? A bunch of slaves being taken with fish hooks through their nose into captivity. You see, God is specific. And right now he's being very specific in four ways. And my first point is God always gives us the formula for success. He gives us the formula for success because he is specific. If you're in this place and you're confused, come to God. He'll remove confusion. If you're in this place and you're in doubt, come to God and he'll remove that doubt. 
If you don't know how to get that confidence, go to the Word. He'll give you the confidence through His promises. This scripture teaches us that there is a formula for God, specifically for what? To hear our prayers. Wow. So it's not a formula to make millions. It's not a formula to um, keep your family together. There's formulas probably for that. But this is a formula for God to hear your prayers. How specific can God get? How many of you have prayers that need to be answered? Come on, church. Prayers for your family. Prayers for your situation. Prayers for yourself. Anybody? Okay, if you raise your hand, you better be at this altar tonight. Because we're going to pray afterwards, right? That's what the altar calls for. The altar calls so that his people, God's people, can come and bow down before him and pray. So, so many times people say, well, I don't know how to pray. Um, can you teach me how to pray? And, and of course, we can follow the Lord's prayer because his disciples asked Jesus. Jesus teaches how to pray. And he gave us the Our Father who art in heaven. And that's not just to be repeated. That's actually a formula, by the way. That's a New Testament formula of how, how we can pray. But here's another formula of how we can get answered prayer in the Old Testament. And here is what he says. Like this scripture states, number one, Here's the first ingredient for the formula. Are we humbling ourselves? Are we humbling ourselves? This means bringing yourself low, not walking in pride. Did you know that if we are walking in pride, it's going to be hard to pray? If we walk in pride with your kids, with your boss, with your fellow co-workers, with your fellow ministry members, your prayers are going to be hindered, church. I mean, this is huge revelation. If you ever wonder, why are my prayers not getting answered? Here's formula one question. Have you humbled yourself? You notice he says, humble yourself. It's separate than prayer. People think humbling yourself is prayer. No, you must humble yourself before you pray. You know what that means? We got to get into the right mindset. We got to come correct before the throne of God. Before I go to pray and ask God for all the things I need and to give him praise and to give him glory, God, let me, let me check my heart. Humble, let me walk humbly before you, God. That's the first step. And then it says, pray. Church, are we praying? Notice, we have to first humble ourselves, what I said, before we can come and pray. But then we must pray. But are you even taking the time to pray? Are, are we taking the time to pray, church? God, God, it's easy to say, right? It's an easy four-letter word, pray. Just pray. We throw it around loosely in church, don't we? Oh, can you pray for me? Yeah, I'll pray for you. I'll keep you in prayer. See you later in the parking lot. I got you in my prayer list. It's so easy to throw out, but are we? Are we praying? The next is, are we seeking his face? But pastor, I thought prayer was seeking his face. I don't know, it's separated it. 
Why did Jesus break it out? Why, why did God say, humble yourself, pray, seek his face? I used to think they were all one and the same, right? Am I the only one? It kind of makes sense. It seems like they will all be the same thing. If you pray, that means you're humbling yourself because you're praying, you're seeking God's face. It's all the same. Prayer equals being humble, and being humble means you're seeking his face. But it's different. God breaks it up. He separates it as individual things. So what is seeking his face? This implies consistency. When you truly seek something, right, if you lost something, don't you look fervently for it, church? Yeah, one person. You're going to always find your stuff. <clears throat> I was looking for something yesterday, and uh, I found half of it in the garage. And, man, I could not find the other half. I still got I to fervently look. I got to keep looking. Married couples, if you lost your wedding ring, would you casually look for it? Oh, babe, guess what? What I lost my wedding ring. Oh, don't worry about it. I doubt anybody would say that. Be like, what? Where? Where were you last at? Well, why did you take it off to wash your hands? Who does that? I mean, all these things are going to start to come out. And then everybody's going to be like, well, go look for it. I know. I got to go find it. I got to see where it's at. You pull over. You start looking under the car seat. You're, you're looking fervently. We know what it is to be fervent, right? Amen. We know what it is to seek fervently, consistently. Oh, my gosh, I got to find it. I got to find it until you find it. No, you would fervently look all over the place until you found it or you'd be in trouble. Or maybe a better example. Sad to say, some people will probably look a little bit more fervently for this if you lost your phone. Oh, my gosh, I got to do a U-turn and go back home. And I used to say, what, what did you do before there were phones? You used to drive to work without a phone. Am I right? But some of us lose a phone and we want to file a police report. We want to go to the nearest police station. Somebody stole my phone. I know somebody stole my phone because I always have my phone right here. See, we know what it is to look for a lost phone, some of us, right? I mean, maybe no one's ever lost. Actually, Probably some people have never lost their phone because they make sure that thing's glued to their hand. <laughs> but if you did lose it, some of you would probably take a day off of work just to go find it. Oh, I can't come in, boss. Why? Uh, family emergency. <laughs> I used to love what, what, what my kids used to say when they wanted a phone as teenagers, and I would tell them no. They'd be like, but dad, in case of an emergency. i go, what emergency? <laughs> Call 911. <laughs> Are you going to call me? If it's an emergency, call 911. See, church, we know what it is to look for things fervently, consistently. But are we seeking God the same way? Do we seek God the same way? Like, oh my gosh, I need to bust a U-turn and go back home because I didn't pray today. Whew. Oh my gosh. I didn't have time to seek God's face in his word today, so I'm going to make sure and do that after work. But see, we don't fervently do that, some of us. See, and God wants that type of fervency in how we seek him. He's telling us the secret to success in our prayers. And then it states, <clears throat> excuse me, we are to turn from our wicked ways. See, and a lot of people see that. And they think, well, I'm saved, so that's not relating to me. 
because I'm born again. I'm set free from all my wicked ways. But you notice Jesus, I mean, God did not separate this. He said, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. You know what that tells me? Sometimes God still looks down upon us and says, man, my people are wicked. The problem is, is we don't look at ourselves like that. The problem is, we, oh, I'm in church. I've been in ministry for years. I'm a leader in ministry. I'm good. Whew, God's proud of me. But God's like, God just called us wicked in our ways, church. Isn't that offensive? No, it's the truth. If we're honest with ourselves and we truly seek God, you know, the closer you seek, the more you seek God and the closer you get to God, the more you realize how wicked you still are. If you come to a place where you don't think you're wicked, then you got to ask yourself, are you truly seeking God? Because that's what happens. The closer you get to the light, the more it's shined upon you to show those areas and those crevices of darkness. And we realize, oh my gosh, God, I'm still messed up bad. See, that's what God wants for us. He wants us to so come so close to seek him so much that we can realize how wicked we are. So why? So we can feel bad about ourselves? No, so we could turn from our wicked ways. So we could repent from those ways. And we need to turn to God constantly, consistently, like the Bible said, and repent. You know what that means? That when you get saved and you say that prayer and you get saved, praise God. That's the moment of salvation. But the Bible says, pick up your cross daily. Every day we need to be going to God. God, cleanse me. God, forgive me. The Bible says there's not one righteous, no, not one. I believe we sometimes have to be reminded of this because we as Christians, we get into this mode of, I pray, I read, I come to church, I'm good. But sometimes we got to look, wait, God, am I good? Can you cleanse me, please, Lord? We need to repent constantly. You see, church, we have to realize that we are a fallen people. And we can be wicked at times. I know this is not popular to hear. I'm not saying you. I'm saying we could be wicked, okay? I'm right there with you. We. Jesus gives us a clear example of this. In Luke chapter 18, verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector, he stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast. God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted, church. Jesus gives us a stark comparison of a heart condition. This second man was humbling himself before God. 
he was following the formula. He humbled himself. He prayed. He sought God. And he was repenting of his wicked ways, asking for forgiveness. Please, God, have mercy on me, God. I know I messed up, God. He felt so unworthy to be in God's presence, church. Think about this, that he stood a far way off. Like, man, I don't even deserve to be in the house of God. You see, that's why I said what I said in the beginning. It's a privilege to be in the house of God. It is a privilege to be in the house of God. I mean, if God was a judgmental God like so many people think he was, every time we walked into the house of God, there would be a lightning storm and we'd all be struck with lightning. Because we're not holy, they're not holy, he's not holy, she's not holy. Gosh, they're not holy enough to be in my temple. But he's a merciful God. Amen. This man wouldn't even look up to heaven according to Jesus. He didn't even feel right looking at God. God, I I can't even look towards you. My face is hidden. I'm in shame, God. And it says he beat his chest in agony for his sin. How many of us have agonized over our sins? Like literally like, oh man, God, I can't do this, God. Please, please forgive me, God. I'm so far off. How do you treat your sin? How do you look at the things that you do that offend God? And how do you come to God about them? Or do you even, oh, well, God, you're good. You know I'm good. You know I didn't mean that. Oh, God, you're forgiving. So anyways, God, this is what I need. I need a raise. I need a a, a new car. And then what I love is it says that he begged for mercy. He didn't expect it. He didn't expect mercy, church. He begged for it. Yes, God gives grace and mercy freely, but we, we should never come to the place where we expect it without asking for his mercy. This man could have been the robber that the other guy was talking about. This man could have been the evildoer. This man could have been the adulterer. But because he humbled himself, he was forgiven and was justified in the eyes of God. Church, this is why you and I shouldn't judge our fellow brothers and sisters who are struggling with things. Because you don't see their prayers to God. You don't see how they're dealing with their issues. They know they got issues. Maybe you know they got issues. But you don't know they're dealing with them with God every night. They're beating their chest to God. They're crying out to God, change me, God. Help me, God. Forgive me, God. They're humbling themselves. As a matter of fact, when we as Christians look to our fellow brothers and sisters and we place value judgments on them and their walk with God, like this religious priest, we're not being right, and it actually hinders our prayers. Jesus said, basically, I honor the man that's humbling himself, that's a dirty, rotten sinner, more than this guy over here who's in ministry, faithful, and pays his tithe because he thinks he's all that in a bag of chips. God sees that, church. Let's not become blinded to how we need to approach God. There's a right way. 
there's a right way. If my people, and this type of humble attitude is needed in order for you and I to have strong faith, church. It's needed to be justified in the faith. Like Jesus said, he is justified. It's needed if we're going to be able to stand in our faith, amen? Which leads to the next point. We need to stand firm. We need to stand strong in our faith, not strong in our actions, not strong in our accomplishments, not strong in our mindsets. Strong in our faith is what we need to be. We need to stand firm in our faith. The message of standing firm is a message that is sprinkled throughout the Bible in both the Old and the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58 says this. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, I love it. There it goes starting again. How many of us are brothers and sisters in the house of God? Amen. Come on, you can clap. The Bible says, stand firm then. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. There's another version that says, So my dear brothers, since future victory is sure, hallelujah, be strong and steady, stand firm, always abounding in the Lord's work. This scripture says, stand firm. This means don't waver. It means don't quit in your labor, in your work, in your ministry for the Lord. You know what happens when, when we are uh, doing a really good job for the things of God and the things of God? And a trial comes, the devil lies and he immediately says, you should get out of ministry. You, 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 should, you shouldn't be in ministry no more. You know, all these problems started when you jumped into ministry. Did you notice that? That's a lie of the enemy. He's trying to get you to stop the work that God has put you in. He's trying to take away the job God gave you. We don't want to be unemployed in the things of God, church. We don't want to be unemployed in the things of God, do we? Well, let's stay in the work, in the will, in the labor of the things of God, in the house of God, in the kingdom of God. Now, I understand things come up, situations come up, but overall, that's not the solution. It's not. And when you do these things, stand firm, don't waver, don't quit, you're standing for righteousness. That's what you're doing. No, I'm standing because this is what God told me to do. I'm not going to waver in my faith because God's word says not to. I'm not going to sugarcoat this, church. Many will come against you when you take that type of a stand. And if it goes against their way of thinking, when you don't support the things of the world, when you don't give a wink of the eye to worldly thinking and politics, I said it, politics. Oh, but pastor, you're not supposed to separate politics. You're supposed to separate politics from church. Why? It's all about choice, right? We choose to serve Jesus or we don't. But when politics, laws, regulations say that the word of God 
is antiquated, that what their law says is better than what God says, then that's when you need to take a stand. You cannot dismiss it and say, well, I'm not political. I don't want to get political. Well, no, why don't you just become spiritual? It ain't about politics when it comes to God's word. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. I was questioned once and years ago, and somebody said, aren't you a so-and-so supporter? And I said, uh, no, this is for a presidential election. Why? But he stands for this, 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 and this, and that's everything that we work in. That's our, our work, you know, type of a job, and we're supposed to. I said, well, yeah, I agree with those things, but what I don't agree with, and then I said what I didn't agree with. Oh, well, I mean, but, that's, but there's more good than that. I'm like, yeah, but I can't support that. See, church, we cannot be afraid to take a stand. We cannot think, well, everybody at my job believes and thinks and believes this is okay, so I probably should too. No. Let's not wink the eye at worldly ways, church. I have an example. In Cuba, in 2021, a Christian church was targeted by the communist government and was actually told to stop having service or it would bulldoze their church. This church and the pastor took a stand, amen? And they kept having church. Each time they returned to church, they found a wall torn down by a bulldozer in rubble. Here's a picture of the church when two walls were torn down. Check that out. Stuff at the bottom, that's rubble. The church members basically got the rubble, pushed it out of the church, and created a nice little barrier outside. You see, they took a stand. They could have said, oh my gosh, but they're going to destroy our beautiful church. Let's just minimize our church services. You know what? It's the government. The government said it, so we should believe it and obey it. The pastor said, no, we are going to still praise God. We are still going to hear the word of God. The pastor said, I'm still going to minister the word of God. I'm not going to stop. He took a stand. And look who's inside the church. The church. The church is inside. If you don't mind keeping that up, that's an impactful picture, isn't it? They would not be intimidated. In the midst of the rubble, they made room for Jesus, hallelujah. They didn't let a broken wall stop them from worshiping God. They knew that the regime was serious. I mean, they're destroying their church. How more serious can you get? We too need to take a stand in the midst of our trials, church. You know how many people could have easily said, Oh, well, I'm not coming to church because what happens if the bulldozer shows up during a Sunday service and, you know, runs me over or runs over my kids? I have to watch out for my kids. And we do. But to me, it looks like that church is still full. They're not intimidated, are they? They are still in there, aren't they? In the midst of the rubble, eventually, sadly, there were no more walls left to be torn down. Here's a quote from the article regarding this current situation of the church, specifically in Cuba. It said, all that remains of Pastor David's church building is the roof. 
Yet his congregation continues to gather for worship and fellowship. They meet on porches, in the kitchens, in fields, under trees. And get this, they baptize you believers in cleaned out pigsties. There ain't nothing stopping that church, is it? Despite everything, Pastor David said and reports, the congregation continues to grow more and more. Wow. You can tear down the church building, but you can't tear down the church. Amen. You can try to get me out of the house of God, but you can't take me out of being the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen. See, they know where the true presence of God lies in their hearts. And if Jesus resides in our heart, church, if we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, church, there is nothing, no trial, no tribulation, no situation that should make us not stand firm because we know who we serve. Church, the devil hates righteousness. He hates it. He comes against righteousness. He attacks righteousness, as you could see. So we need to be ready, church. Because when you and I stand for righteousness, like that church in Cuba, we don't let politics or trends direct our faith. If they let politics direct their faith, it would be empty. They wouldn't be a church anymore. Or maybe they'd be an underground church, hiding. See, when we stand for righteousness like this church in Cuba, we don't waver in the midst of threats. And we don't stop being the church. What a testimony, huh? Imagine the guys with the bulldozers. Oh, man, here goes wall number three. Oh, man, they keep showing up. Here goes wall number four. I just made a patio cover for them. But they still keep coming. Amen. They're standing, church. Church, how do we handle trials when they come to us? Some of us, a trial comes our way. God has abandoned me. I'm running for the hills. God hates me. He hasn't answered my prayer. He doesn't listen. He doesn't care. Where are you, God? I'm going to tell you where he is. He's in those people's hearts. That's one place he is. Church, why do we run when trials hit? Because we don't know how to handle the trials. But Jesus said, God said, if my people humble themselves, pray, seek my face. You know what? That trial will soon go away. And if it doesn't, you're going to get through it. He's going to give you the strength to get through that trial. The reason people get and go and run when a trial hits is because they're not sticking to the formula. Pray. I'm sorry, humble yourself, pray, seek his face, and then turn from many wicked ways in your life. Church, that's a formula for success. If I were you, I'd be taking notes. I'd be like, one, two, three, four. And every time I pray, I'd be like, one, two, three, did I do this? I did this. We should be doing this. Matthew 16, 18. This is why we don't stop being the church. 
Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. The gates of hell will not prevail. You know what that means? Yeah, hell may come against you. Some of you may feel like all of hell is coming against you right now. Maybe you're going through a trial, a situation that it feels like the devil's breathing down your neck and I'm not minimizing that in any way. But can I encourage you? The gates of hell will not prevail. They will not prevail against you, church. This is why we don't stop being the church. You see, Jesus is telling us that the devil will try and he will try to come against you. He will try to come against the church. That's you and I. And we need to be prepared for it. I love it. Jesus didn't sugarcoat what was going to happen. He never said, I'm going to leave and the comfort of the Holy Spirit is coming and you're never going to have a trial again in your life. I wish I was his message. But did Jesus say that? He said, no. In this world you will have many trials. But behold, I have overcome the world. You see what Jesus said? He's basically acknowledging you will be attacked, there will be a trial, there will be battles, but you can overcome. We should be cheering. We should be praising God. What trial are you in right now? You're going to overcome it, brother. You're going to overcome it, sister. What lie of the enemy has been whispering in your ear this whole time? The gates of hell will not prevail, and you will not succumb to that lie, brother. You will not succumb to that lie, sister. What, what is going on? What's the trial? What's the circumstance? The gates of hell shall not prevail, church. Be encouraged. But also be prepared. Be prepared. How do we prepare ourselves? How do we prepare ourselves for battle? We need to put on the armor of God. That's how we prepare. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to verse 12 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There's that word again. Stand. Stand so that you can take a stand against the devil. But this time, it states, take a stand against the devil's schemes. You know what that means? He's planning things against you, church. He's planning things against you. But like Jesus encouraged Peter, he said, Peter, behold, the devil has desired to sift you as wheat. But be encouraged, I have prayed for you. That's what Jesus said. In other words, yeah, the devil got the plan, but so do I, says God. And I'm going to intercede for you. I'm going to pray for you. And then, before we get that full breakthrough, you got to understand what our responsibility is. Remember, if my people, that's the conditional statement. Well, here's another conditional statement. It says, put on the full armor. Put on the full armor. 
Sorry to break it to you, church, but the armor just doesn't fall on you because now you're saved. You don't get saved and, you know, just like all this stuff starts falling and you're like, ready to battle. I'm ready now. No, it actually says you got to go put it on. You need to go to the armory. You need to pick up the helmet. You need to pick up the breastplate of righteousness. You need to tie on the belt of truth. You need to put on the shoes of shedding the gospel. You need to put up, pick up the sword of the spirit. You need to get that shield of faith. You go pick it up. That's our responsibility. There's another key as to why we don't pass our trials. Because we don't put on the armor. Church. You know, we're all guilty of it. We're all guilty of it. We've tried to go to battle without armor. And we come back beat up. We try to go throughout the day without seeking God's word. We try to have a day without praying. We try to make it on our own power and our own flesh, and we get tore up out there, don't we? I'm going to tell you right now, the Bible says to put it on for a reason. Because he says you're going into battle, and you're going to need it. You're going to need it, church. Yes, there's a level of protection. I'm not dissuading that there isn't. There is a level of protection that comes on us as children of God, but we still need to prepare for battle. We still need to get prepared and put on the armor. Take the time to pick it up, put it on, fit it, tie it, seal it. The full armor, not parts of it. And that's another thing we do, we fail. We're like, well, I didn't get a chance to read, but at least I prayed. Well, I didn't get a chance to pray, but at least I read. That's not the full armor, church. You see, this is why we struggle. This is why sometimes we don't win our battles. And God's saying, if my people follow the formula, then you're going to see some breakthrough. Ephesians chapter 6, 11 in a different version says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, there's that word, stand, if my people stand, against the wiles of the devil. When you put on the armor, you're putting on the belt of truth, the truth of God that sustains us, the breastplate of righteousness, that's our protection. It protects all the vital organs protects your heart the gospel of peace are we willing to share the gospel are we ready to share the gospel at any given moment the shield of faith the faith that protects us did you know that the helmet of salvation are we constantly thinking about salvation or are you just thinking about lunch or are you just thinking about your problems or are you just thinking about things that you shouldn't be we got to constantly put on the mind of Christ, the Bible says. The sword of the Spirit, that's our weapon to fight, church. Speaking in tongues, like my wife mentioned to the ladies this last week, is a spiritual weapon. That's our spiritual weapon. The sword of the Spirit. Are you using it? How many people know how to speak in tongues, but you're not using it? That is a weapon. That is a weapon. Why well, I haven't done it for a while. Well, then start it up. Stir it up like it says in it, where, where, where Paul tells Timothy, stir up that gift. 
Because sometimes it settles, right? And it's down there. It's all clumpy. But we got to get in there and stir it up. Oh, Jesus, stir up that gift. That time that I was anointed with the gift of tongues, stir it up, God. Church, we're a Pentecostal church. Did you know that? I hope you know that. There's power in speaking in tongues. And sometimes what happens is we put on the helmet, we get the shield, we put on the belt. You know, we're ready to go. We got the, sh the shoes of the gospel, and let's go. But we got no weapon. And God's like, all you're going to do is protect yourself. But now you're not being offensive. You're just always going to be on the defense. And yeah, your shield will extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy. You'll be protected, but you're not a threat to the enemy. Church, we need to pick up our weapons. That's part of the full armor. Oh, but, but, but I'm not a fighter. Well, we need to be fighters, church. I've never been violent. Well, you need to learn to become violent. Jesus says the kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. You know what he's saying? Stir it up. Get out there and fight. Because the devil's fighting you. Fight back. Fight back. I like watching the Rocky movies, you know, and, and Rocky's in there fighting, right? And, and, and uh, the coach, what's his name? Uh, starts with a P. Who knows Rocky, guys? Come on, help me out. What? What is it? Mickey. Mickey's in I thought it was a P. Mickey. He's turning red. It looks like his face is going to explode. He's like, get up, get up. Have you guys seen that part? And he's like, come on. But he's not in the ring. You see, that's how God is with us sometimes. We're in the ring, and he's telling us, I ain't jumping in the ring with you. Fight. Get up. What are you doing? Come on, get up. He's not jumping in the ring for you, fighting your battles. That's what we want, right? That's what we want. Oh, Jesus, come fight my battles. Yes. But he also says, you fight. Put on the armor. You got the armor. I'm telling you to put on the armor for a reason so you can stand and fight. Church, we got to fight. Are we ready to fight? Are we ready to fight? You know, when you're all armored up and you got your, your shield and your sword and your helmet and you're ready, all you need to do is just stand. Stand. If my people stand. You know, I believe it should say, if my people stand in full armor. The devil's going to think twice. He's going to be like, oh, they're ready for us. Oh, we can't just come in and mess things up. Uh, they're ready. Look, at there's a whole bunch of them. The devil's going to think twice. If my people stand in full armor, church. Church, let's get into that full armor. Then we'll be able to stand against the devil. Let's not be a casualty of war. Let's make the devil run. Amen. Amen. Come on, church. If my people stand, says the Lord. Are we going to stand? Amen. When we stand for